Hello everyone, this is the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm flying solo today, just as a heads up. Jeff had told me last week he had something coming up, so he hopefully he'll be back next week. Wish him the best. He's a hard-working guy. And I imagine you guys don't like just hearing me talk to myself, so... Uh, such is life. Alright. On the agenda this afternoon, evening, whenever you happen to be listening to this, last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 16. Uh, you know, that card that card played out in practice about how you'd think it would play out on paper if you just looked at it. You know, so. We'll also have a preview of next week, UFC on ESPN Plus 17. They're back in Mexico City, and they brought a card. That's about all I can say about it. It's a card. I don't know. That's all I got. Uh, then news of the week. Uh, some fights got made. Some fights fell through. You know, the normal stuff that happens. on, f- And we'll go over some of that. And, yeah, that's kind of it. Before we really get going, uh, however you found us, thank you. Be that Apple Music, which I think has replaced iTunes or will be replacing iTunes. Uh, YouTube. Stitcher. Uh, Transistor. Uh, we're on PodCoin, so you can actually receive some kind of benefit from listening to podcasts if you go through PodCoin. They will re- they give you points for listening, and then you can redeem them for stuff. So, however you found us, I I'm just grateful you're here. Please interact with the product a little bit. Give us a review if you think this is a one star show, and I might agree with you on that. Give us one star. Everybody says give leave us a five star review. I imagine because. If, uh, done o- repeated over enough iterations, it might trend higher. Um, I tend to think this hovers about a three-star show most of the time, so please just give us a fair review. If you have a situ- if you're in a situation where it lets you do that, if you're on YouTube, just thumbs up, please. I've seen the th- I've seen videos worth the thumbs down. I don't think this qualifies. Your standards might be different than mine, but it's just thumbs up or thumbs down. Please give us a thumbs up. Please follow us, however you did. Just on whatever your podcast acquisition medium happens to be. It helps us continue to grow the show, helps us uh, you know, know the people are listening. So please, thank you. Always appreciate it. All right. Let's get into the nitty-gritty, so to speak. UFC on ESPN plus 16. The UFC was in Vancouver for this one. Uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. So they're up in Canada. Um, main event, I was so looking forward to this, and you know what? It wasn't exactly what I expected, but I'm not complaining about this fight. Justin Gaethje knocks out Donald Cerrone, uh, TKOs him with punches 4 minutes and 18 seconds into the first round. This was not at all the performance I expected out of Gaethje in terms of how he arrived at the result. The result was what I predicted. I think we all predict, uh, Jeff and I both wound up predicting Gagey winning. But this was a very patient Justin Gagey, and he didn't even pressure forward as much as he normally does. I mean, he's in the wake of the losses to both Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, you saw Gagey retool a little bit of his style just a bit. He's, again, a lot of it's the same, but he has tweaked a few things. One of them is that while he is still a very pressure-oriented fighter, he's not as wild. I always thought he... I mean, I've always kind of been of the 
opinion that his wildness was overstated. Don't get me wrong, the man will just engage in it. He'll go gunslinging with you. Like, he still does. But he's not a sloppy brawler. That's a pretty significant misread of his abilities. And here he didn't even really apply the same kind of forward pressure he normally does. If you watch, again, the last two, the Barboza and the Vic fights, it's not as, it's not as, again, wild's not the right word. It's not as, his style is not as action heavy as it has been in the past. And he's not as reckless. Is maybe a better way to put it. Because he's always had pretty good technique for his, for everything he's been doing. But, there, again, there is kind of the reckless disregard for yourself that he still is capable of. He's more than willing to get hit. But he's... Uh, he's kind of dialed back a little bit of the reckless aggression in favor of a slightly more controlled aggressive stance. And here he was even less aggressive than normal. There was a lot of just circling. A lot of Gaethje's best work is done when he gets you against the fence. I mean, I think some of that's due to some of his vision issues, which he's got, he's actually admitted, I think, that's, you know, like the first several fights he had, he just couldn't see all that well. And you still kind of get that, you know, if you see it, he does tend to wear some very thick glasses when he is not, he might have had it fixed in the uh, since then, because he doesn't wear them as often, but it used to be, you know, whenever he'd do press conferences or whatnot, he'd have these, you know, relatively thick uh, glasses that he would wear. And then he'd go into the fight, and you can't wear glasses when you fight, and just get, and you know, a lot of his fighting style draws some comparison to Harry Greb, uh, for those old school boxing fans, who was, uh, Greb rather famously blind in one eye for his entire boxing career, like just actually couldn't see out of one of his eyes, like one of his eyes just does not function. So he did a lot of what Gaethje does, a lot of crowding forward until he can kind of feel you more than, as well, more than see you straight up, and then firing a lot of his offensive blows at where he knows your body is, but having a harder time reading elements of movement. So, again, if you look at where he knocked out James Vick, where was he? Back in Vick into the fence. Where did he knock out Barboza? Barboza got to the fence, tried to circle, ran into a right hook. This entire fight almost takes place in what is, uh, what is essentially the center of the cage space, with Gaethje slipping and countering more, and then when a distance, kind of picking with leg kicks, and Gaethje had, I saw this on Twitter, um, Donald Cerrone has like, F, has FU style kicks, Justin Gaethje has FU and your whole family kicks, like that man does not, re- he holds nothing back when he kicks, even if it's just to the calf or the leg, like, you know, everything's going into that, and he wants to punish you physically. So he, and Cerrone wasn't terribly happy with those. Again, he took, he took a few of them and wound up limping a little bit as he was leaving the cage after the fight. But I think Cerrone largely suffers from just the amount of fights he's had. And I don't mean in that in the sense that he is worn down. More in that he fights so frequently. And has done so at a relatively high level for so long that all of the bits of pieces of his game are just out there and known. I mean, Donald Cerrone has not substantively altered his game 
in like three to four years. His biggest thing within the last few years was he added um, an intercepting knee to kind of dissuade people from just lunging in on him blindly. But that's, again, that's a wrinkle, not a real, like, alteration. He hasn't shown off an improved clinch game. He's not integrating more takedowns. He will on occasion, but it's not really a a committed path for him. Uh, He just does what he's always done. And it is very successful. The man is the all-time leader in wins and finishes in the UFC for a reason. And I think he's uh, once again now tied with Jim Miller for most appearances. But when you do all the things he's doing, as often as he's doing them, the book on you gets written fairly quickly. And that's kind of what he's dealing with now in this particular point in time. Everybody has just seen all of his fights. And there's so many of them, you can kind of track progression without too much difficulty. So when he gets in there with someone like Leon Edwards... Leon Edwards was just unbelievably well-prepared for everything Cerrone was going to do. Everything in every position, he knew what Donald was going to do because Cerrone just, you know, does what he always does. In this fight, Gaethje did a lot of, you know, it was odd because it's not normally what he does, but he did a lot of countering. He did a lot of, okay, kind of step back, maybe throw a few, you know, throw a leg kick, throw a few punches, draw something out of Cerrone, and then counter that. I mean, the finishing sequence is just, he moves, he lands a bit of a right, Cerrone kind of comes forward, throws a left, I think it was a left hook, kind of, a, or a jab, just you kind of really sticks something out there, like, okay. He breaks his stance a little bit, he kind of gets squared up as he's finding, as he's kind of moving forward to throw. Gaethje slips under the punch, comes back up with a right that crushes Cerrone, well, wobbles him. And if Gaethje thinks you're hurt, he has some exceptional killer instinct. Gaethje then proceeded to hit him to grab a collar tie, hit uppercuts, hits another right. Uh, Cerrone drops to his knees, kind of looks like he's going face down. The ref moves in towards stopping. It kind of sees Cerrone not actually face plant. Waits. Gaethje punches him a few more times. The ref stops it. Gaethje's upset that he had to hit Cerrone more times than he wanted to. Cerrone argued the stoppage a little bit in real time, but uh, no, like that was a, that was a clean stoppage. I think it was just, it, I think it was just Cerrone not really remembering what happened. I mean, cause he got up and he kind of hugged Gagey and then he was limping and Trevor Whitman, I have to say this. One of my favorite things in MMA is watching the corner cam for Justin Gagey's fights because Trevor Whitman has, like, no reaction to the violence of Justin Gagey. Uh, like, when he wa- when he knocked out James Vick, because they, I think on the broadcast they showed the corner reaction to the knockout, and all of his other corner men, you know, do the traditional jump up and yell, and they're happy, and I don't think uh, Trevor Whitman even blinked. Uh, same thing with the Barboza win, just... <laughs> Trevor Whitman absolutely no-selling Justin Gage's in-cage violence. Uh, it, again, just one of my favorite things. I'm not sure why, but it is. Uh, Whitman, as he was coming into the cage, af- as um, immediately after the cage, and Cerrone's kind of up and, you know, again, limping a little bit and still a little bit dazed. Whitman, instead of going over to Gage, he walks over to Cerrone, puts the ice bag on, like, the back of his neck and shoulders to kind of help cool him down. And now, uh, Whitman and... Uh, 
uh, Whitman and Cerrone have trained together in the past. He's held pads for him a lot of times. Like, there is history there. But Trevor Whitman just kind of continuing to be one of the good guys of the sport. Like, okay, my guy's okay. While your corner gets into the cage, you're closer over here. Let's start the recovery process. And, okay, start, you know, ice you down a little bit. Just sit down, take it easy, let your brain come back to you. And doing that for, again, your opponent is... Not something you see a whole lot of for a variety of reasons, but you know, good on Trevor Whitman just kind of being a good guy. Um, after the fight, uh, I look, there might be things that come out about Donald Cerrone at some point that change my perspective on this, but at the moment, I don't know how you can dislike Donald Cerrone if you're a fan of this sport. Uh, he walks... Uh, I mean, Daniel Cormier wound up kind of interviewing both of them Initially, because they were uh, Gagey and Cerrone are have done training, have trained a little bit together in the past, and are kind of buddies, you know. And Cerrone uh, again doesn't completely hijack Gagey's interview. That's not I, I don't mean to style it like that, but they are still together when the interview starts. And uh, Gagey says something like, uh, "I think uh, Cormier asked me, you know, is it difficult to fight a friend?' Because again, he and Cerrone are friendly. In fact." I think it was Cerrone in the build-up to this fight who said, I got the call that they were offering me Justin Gagey, so I called him and said, hey, are we going to do this? And they both agreed to it. So, again, again there's not a lot. Again, this is not a, anything like that. They both agreed to the fight. But they are, you know, they are friendly. And <laughs> Gagey's response was, yeah, it's really hard to punch a friend in the face. I didn't really want to do that. And Cerrone, again, standing next to him, and then Cerrone kind of says, you know, puts over Gagey. Uh, does his usual stick where he's like, you know, I'm just happy to be able to fight for a living. I love that I get to do this. I love that I get to wake up tomorrow and go back to it. So, I mean, just how do you not be a fan of that guy? You know, in this sport, yeah. Um, Gaethje was also asked after the fight by Daniel Cormier, what's in your future? Is it an Irishman or a Russian? Uh, is it Conor McGregor? Is it Khabib? Gagey's response was great in the in on two fronts. One, it does set up an angle for a McGregor fight if it does materialize, and also sets up him moving on if it doesn't. He said, "The Irishman's retired. I want to fight a real fighter. I want the winner of Tony and Khabib." And can I also just say very briefly about the lightweight title picture? Everyone knows Tony and Khabib has to happen. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's not even really up for debate. Like, you asked, you asked Donald Cerrone and Gagey both in the build-up to this fight said, yeah, Tony should fight for the belt next. Uh, George St. Pierre in an interview, yeah, Tony has to, Tony should fight for the belt next. Everybody and their dog knows it. Ugh, just make the fight. But if I am Justin Gagey, then uh, I'll say this, I'm staying in shape, and I'm maybe going through a camp for the date when they sign Tony and Khabib. Because historically... That fight has never... Again, it's been signed four different times. And it's fallen out four times. So, if you're Gagey, you know, I might just go straight up through a training camp so I could peek when that fight happens, just in case. Just, just as an aside. Um, if the if the Conor McGregor fight is not going to materialize for Gagey, then, yeah, he should fight the winner of Tony and Khabib next. I mean... 
His only two losses in the UFC are to Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. Alvarez no longer with the promotion, and Poirier just lost to... I mean, Poirier's run up to his title shot was, you know, again, somewhat lost amidst the absurdity of the runs that both Khabib and Tony are on, is how darn good Dustin Poirier's lightweight campaign was until his title shot. I mean, he he comes back into the UFC, or excuse me, moves back up to lightweight, knocks out uh, Diego Fajaya, which was uh, not improbable, but a little bit surprising. Uh, you know, finishes Yancey Medeiros, beats Joe Duffy, knocks out Bobby Green, loses to Michael Johnson, beats Jim Miller, goes to the no contest with Eddie Alvarez, finishes Pettis, finishes Gagey, finishes Alvarez in the rematch, and beats Max Holloway. Alright, again, I understand that in some respects what Khabib and what Tony are doing is going to overshadow that. That's just inevitable given the nearly unprecedented level of this of success that those two are enjoying in this division. But that that run by Poirier is gonna be under is gonna be overlooked and it shouldn't be, because that's a heck of a run. And now, in three consecutive fights, he knocked out James Vick, knocked out Edson Barboza, and TKO's Donald Cerrone. That, okay. Tony is the number one contender. I'm Everything I'm going to say next is predicated on that assumption. Gagey is next in line after Tony at this point. And, again, if they can make the McGregor fight, apparently in, uh, Ariel Hawani and a few others have mentioned that this was... They were going to sign that fight for, oh, some New York car, I think it was July of this year or last year, hang on I think they were talking about like the July 6th card or some other uh, Madison Square Garden card, might have been last year I, I forget exactly, my apologies but they were again, there was a lot of, they were apparently going to go with uh, Gagey versus McGregor as a fight, and everyone was amenable, and the, uh, it just occurred prior to Connor breaking his left hand, which uh, did happen. So they might try to make that fight again, and I think that's the only fight outside of a title fight that Gagey should, should uh, sign for. Nothing else really makes sense for him. And again, I also want to mention this just off the, just as an aside, if we never get to see the violent insanity of Justin Gagey and Tony Ferguson, it will be a crime. I don't want, again, I don't want that next. Be very clear about this. I want Tony and Khabib. I've wanted that fight for years. And that's, and that's what I want to see. But, if we never get Gagey and Ferguson, that will be a again. That will be darn near criminal because, I mean, what else is there to say but Gagey and Ferguson? If you've seen them fight, you know what kind of insanity that's going to be. It's great. Um, I, again, so Gagey, that's it for him. That's the only thing he should be looking at is either a McGregor payday or an actual title fight. Anything else? Eh, not so much. Uh, Cerrone is just going to do Cerrone things. I mean, I saw someone mention that they're kind of tired of seeing Cerrone fight the top five guys in the division. 
because it's pretty clear that while he's still a very competitive fighter, that might be just a bit much at this point. Give him somewhat further down the rankings because Cerrone will sign to fight those guys. And let's let him get a few wit. You know, I think that's kind of where they. That's what should be on the radar of Cowboy. Again, not gimmies. Don't fight nobodies. But if you were to fight someone, pull up the rankings here for whatever they're worth. The answer is not much. But uh, if you wanted to give him someone, you know, further down the list. Um. Yeah, you could do Cerrone and, I mean, Paul Felder, maybe. Paul Felder mentioned, I think, this week that he'd be willing to do a trilogy fight with Edson Barboza if they're the main event. And you know what? Yeah. Give the, you know, we've seen those two fight three, a couple of three-rounders. And while I scored the, again, I'm somewhat sympathetic to an argument for Felder winning the second fight, even though I scored it for Barboza. But the score, the actual scorecards that came out of that fight were so bizarre. I would, I would not hate those two main eventing a you know one of these uh, ESPN Plus shows, and just, let's get five rounds of those two because, so again, I I'm sympathetic to that. Cerrone and Felder would be a good fight. Um, Cerrone's fought Pettis, that didn't go well. I don't even know if Pettis is still gonna fight at lightweight. Um, Gregor Gillespie's kind of putting his name out there for some guys he wants to fight. You have Charles Oliveira hanging around. I'd just like to see him fight someone other than the actual top of the division next, because much as I like, again, I like Donald Cerrone as a fighter. I really do. And the fact that he's on a two-fight losing streak to, you know, Tony Ferguson, the number one contender and arguably the best lightweight in the world, and now Justin Gagey, Okay, fine. Level of composi- level of opposition does factor into that. It is still a two-fight losing streak. So I'd I'd like again I'd like to see him fight you know someone further down the rankings. And I just yeah, it's kind of sad, but I don't th- given Cerrone's history, but I don't think he's ever going to become champion. I just I might be surprised. You know, crazier things have happened, but it doesn't, especially at lightweight, that doesn't really seem like it's going to pan out. But for as long as that fight lasted, good fight. I mean, not fight of the year. Not the, not the insanity I was kind of hoping for, but a good fight. Uh, and your co-main event, Glover Teixeira defeated Nikita Krylov via split decision. 29-28 for either man is an acceptable scorecard. And... Eh, I mean... There were some decent scrambles in this fight, but... Unfortunately, light heavyweight just continues to be not a very good division, which we'll talk about more in a little bit for slightly different reasons. Um, Todd Duffy ended a four-year-plus hiatus when he and Jeff Hughes fought to a no contest after an accidental eye poke in the first round. This was not the most egregious eye poke I've ever seen. I've seen much worse. Um, Hughes was just pushing off of his head while they were breaking a clinch, and his finger kind of grazed the eye. Now, I'm not, let me be clear, I am not accusing Todd Duffy of wanting a way out of the fight. If your eyes are weird, man. Again, sometimes guys take, you know, get gouged, and after a second or two they kind of clear up, and they're like, okay, no, we can keep going. Sometimes the stuff that might look small and innocuous winds up, be, winds up causing you not to be able to see or feel confident in your fighting ability. 
And if that's what happened here, I don't blame the guy. I don't blame any fighter who takes a legitimate foul. And again, I'm not this is not about the gradation of the foul. Again, I'm not saying you're I'm not saying an IPOC has to be X severe in order to mean, you know, feel good about you as, as a fan, be okay with you not fighting. As long as the foul is legitimate, if it compromises your ability to fight to the point where you no longer feel safe doing so, don't. I don't have a... Again, I have no problem with that end. I mean, again, check Congo taking a thumb to the nose and then saying he got poked in the eye. Okay, that's a slightly different scenario. Here, you did... He, again, finger went into the eye. It had... That is... Again, the replay showed it. That did happen. And... It doesn't look like much, but again, your eyes are funky. If it happens and that just means you no longer feel confident fighting, don't fight. I'm, I am again. I'm not throwing shade at Todd Duffy at all. Um, the way he handled it to me was, how do I say this? I have no problem with fighters when they get kicked in the groin, and because you get up to five minutes to recover, and this is a weird bit of. Um, rule of rules making or implementation. The my understanding of this, and people out there know more, but my understanding of this is as follows: If you there are certain fouls that they will simply call in a doctor to check on you, and then they have to restart the action if you're still good to fight. I anything that they doctor can reasonably examine within. Uh, is what is how that will work. So you take a shot to the back of the head that results in the action being paused. The doctor comes in to check on you and see how you're doing. You get poked in the eye. You don't get five minutes to recover from an eye poke, is my understanding. You get a second or two. You know, they break the position. Then, they, then the doctor comes in to examine you, and that's the determining factor, not your... not time. The doctor obviously cannot examine your groin area if you get kicked in, if you take a blow to the groin. That's why you get five minutes to recover because it's reasonable, I suppose, that within this, if you cannot recover from a shot to the groin within five minutes, you're not going to and the fight has to be stopped. But that, again, that's kind of the the procedure that should be in place here. And I, and I know it varies a little bit and different some different places have slightly different implementations of this. In some cases, yeah, they'll give you, you know, they'll give you time to recover from the eye poke and won't even necessarily call in the doctor unless you want the doctor. It's it's a little muddy. But both of these guys were pretty tired after 4 minutes of fighting. And Duffy again, if he genuinely was seeing double and wanted to see how his eye would was if his eye was going to clear up, I'm Look, man, again, your eyesight is nothing to screw around with. The way it kind of played, it looked a little bit like he was kind of playing for time to regain his wind. And I also will not blame him for that. If that's the bit of gamesmanship you're going to engage in, fair play. All right? That's a choice you can make. Um, I mean, the fight wasn't all that good. Duffy seems to have shored up elements of his game. It's so weird because... One of the fights, he, uh, in fact, the fight he lost when he fought Mike Russo, he was doing some interesting stuff. He was actually shifting well with his footwork. He was l punching well. 
and it just he got caught at the very end of that fight after dominating the majority of it. Then he, you know, goes on a bit of a hiatus. He's difficult to deal with, according to the UFC, and I don't really have a problem believing that. Uh, comes back and, like, has just the worst striking performance I can recall against Frank Mir. It's, oh, it was so bad. He seemed to have kind of shore up a few elements of that. This was not that bad, but he still kind of get does the arm punch thing at times, and it's a little bit, I don't know, just not an exceptionally good fight. Went to a no contest. Uh, who cares? Um, your big upset of the evening, Tristan Connolly, took this fight on five days' notice, defeats Michelle Pereja via unanimous decision, 29-28 and two 29-27s. Pereja missed weight, came in at 172. Connolly normally fights at 155, and there was a pretty noticeable size discrepancy between these two. Um, look, Pereja's all kinds of fun, I suppose, but the whole I'm going to do spinny stuff, I'm going to do a gymnastics routine, and let's try the backflip double stomp. I don't know. It just doesn't really work for me. And it's kind of the same annoying, it's kind of the same thing as a viewer that I get with Yair Rodriguez, where he's going to do a lot of the same, and after about three minutes of it, it's all the same thing over and over and over again. Like, Yair will do all these you know, dynamic spin attacks, and yeah, okay. But if they don't lead to anything within the first couple of minutes, they stop. they're not going to lead to anything throughout the course of the fight. I mean, look at all those fights that go longer. It's not the spinny stuff that works later in the, ra- later in the fight. At all. So, and Perea's got a little bit of that. Um, this was your fight of the night officially, which I don't agree with at all. At all. But because Pereja missed weight, Connolly gets the entirety of the fight of the night bonus, so he gets a full hundred grand for that. And you know what? Good for that guy getting paid. Uh, Uriah Hall defeated Antonio Carlos Jr. via split decision. This is another instance where a 29-28 for either man is perfectly acceptable. Uriah Hall very clearly takes the uh, the second round, and Junior takes and Carlos Jr. takes the third. So it comes down to the first. There were a couple of things about the first round. Uriah Hall did some damage. In fact, he badly broke uh, Carlos's nose. But it was somewhat intermittent. And Carlos had his back for a long period of the round, but did no damage with it and never really got close to a submission attempt. So who you give that round to is entirely going to lie on your subjective interpretation of... That's of the intermittent striking damage done by Hall, and I say intermittent, very intermittent, versus the positional dominance, but um, largely ineffective other... uh, It was positionally dominant, but didn't lead to anything else that Carlos pulled out. And that's the kind of call that is a difficult and somewhat contentious one to make, even amongst the MMA community. And two judges gave it to Hall, one judge gave it to Carlos, and I, you could go either way. In fact, if Jeff were here, he'd probably say that first round could have been a 10-10, and, we fought, and they would just fought to a draw. Which would also not necessarily be inaccurate. 
I don't hate that. I would not have hated that score. If they declared this a, a 29-29 draw, I, I can see it. I can absolutely see that. Um, I don't know, not a whole lot else. That, look, Uriah Hall is... He's got power, very clearly. It's weird because he's one of those guys who, a little bit like Edson Barboza, some of his best performances, if you take what he's actually doing technically, have come in losses. I mean, if you look at the Paulo Costa fight, for example, in some respects, that's amongst Hall's most... That's his... That's like one of his best performances, but he loses. Same with Barboza. I think the best version of Edson Barboza is the one who fought Tony Ferguson. Because I, I maintain this, if he's fighting anyone except Tony Ferguson that night in that, in that same spot, he probably wins. Like he's doing everything, all of the issues that he's had, he's fighting to address them. He's turning, he's angling, he's digging the body, he's not backing all the way into the fence. He's actually dealing with pressure appropriately rather than panicking. All the stuff that for years dogged him. In that fight, he was fight he was addressing them. They and it just didn't matter because Tony Ferguson. But if you put him in that same fight against pretty much anyone else, if he's on that form, I think he wins. Okay, maybe uh, again, like if you put that version of him in there against Khabib right now, that's a bit tougher. I might, st- I'd probably still pick Khabib in all honesty, and that has more to do with how Khabib chooses to close distance than anything else. But against you know, again a lot of other people, including some who have beaten him, if he's in that form, I think he wins. Like that's that's maybe the best version of Barboza. So Hall here again. Showing his jab was actually pretty good, but I don't know. Um, I still think we've kind of seen his ceiling and that there's a lot of possibilities there. But a just intelligent deter. I mean, again, you can argue that Carlos won this fight. Uh, so I'm not. I don't know. Again, I'm not sold on Hall as you know that guy, but he's not a bad guy to have around. Um. Kicking off the main card, Misha Serkinov defeated Jimmy Krut via Peruvian necktie in the first round. This was some... Uh, there were some fun little transitions and sweeps and reversals and whatnot that went on in this fight. And Krut wound up... The finishing sequence was kind of sweet. Krut gets on top in half guard and is really laying into Serkinov. Um, Serkinov absorbs a bunch of punches... The ref actually says, you've got to move or I'm going to stop it. So he kind of is able to initiate a bit of a deep half sweep. Off balance is Krut. They both kind of wind up on their knees, but Serkinov's the one who grabs the front headlock position, locks his hands together, and then immediately sits back for the Peruvian necktie. And look, part of the reason that's such a rare submission is the hand position. It's really easy to fight off your opponent getting their hands locked together in the way they need to. And but once they're locked, it's a it's a bit more of a difficult thing to pull off. He sits back. They scramble a little bit. Uh, Serkinov winds up. They wind up kind of inverted from the starting position. Normally, in the Peruvian necktie, the guy being choked is on his knees or face down, and the guy applying the choke uh, is sitting and has his legs on top of him, kind of thing uh, perpendicular. And here they wound up kind of 
the other way around with the guy being choked near the top, near the top of the pile, but still being choked. Uh, I mean, good win for Serkunov, but again, man, it's light heavyweight. It's just, it's unfortunate that, you know, a guy, a, a rising, a younger rising prospect like Krut and a younger rising prospect like Krylov in the same night got turned back by guys more firmly entrenched in the cast system. Uh, on the prelims, Augusto Sakai knocks out marching to Bora, 59 seconds of the first round. It was heavyweights, at least it ended uh, quickly. Miles Johns defeated Cole Smith via split decision, uh, 29-28, so two for Johns, one for Smith. Um, I think I scored this for Johns, but it's another issue, It's another instance of I'm not going to scream. 29-28 for either man is perfectly acceptable. Um, I, lo- I did not get to see a lot of this fight. Um, I had some internet issues, so my apologies for my live coverage. Hunter Azure defeats Brad Katona via unanimous decision. Two twenty-nine twenty-eight, one thirty twenty-seven. Uh, the 30-27 is a little surprising, but again, I, I, I will have to rewatch that fight because I missed a lot of it. Um, Chaz Skelly defeated Jordan Griffin via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the board. Eh. Lewis Smolka TKO's Ryan McDonald. 4-43 of the first round. Um, Lewis Smolka throwing some rib roasters out there in this fight. Good for him. Um, God. He still has technical deficiencies in some... Again, he's, he dug really nice body shots, but he wasn't doing some of the proper defensive things to avoid being countered, and a better striker than Ryan McDonald could have made him pay. But uh, he pushed a good pace. Again, I'm a sucker for good body work, and he threw a lot of it at Ryan McDonald. And kicking everything off, Austin Hubbard defeated Kyle Prepolek via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Prepolek had a good first round, but then just kind of got sucked into the wrestling and grappling of Hubbard and couldn't get away from it. Uh, that And that was the event, so thank you everyone who read and uh, be that follow, following along live or after the fact. Um, okay, someone brought up this in the comment section, and... I, let me be clear. I understand this, but someone... Uh, this gets brought up every now and then about why do you put the result of the main event in the title of the article? Um, and a couple of things about this that I would like to address. One, this is not... Let me be clear. This is not my decision. This is a decision made at the editorial level, and if you're just putting it out there hoping that you know one of the site editors will see it, okay, fair enough. Uh, this is... I this is not a thing that I decided to start doing. This is something that you know got some of the people who run the website, guys like Larry Zonka, uh, Ashish, Jeremy Thomas, again the actual like site editors made that call, and I don't know what their reasoning is. I haven't asked them. I don't especially care. I care that I do my job. Uh, so if you would like a more in-depth explanation, ask some of them. That those are the people who I would ask. They will probably be able to tell you. The other thing about this is, and I, this is a sporting event, guys, not a movie. Um, I can understand you wanting to maybe avoid spoilers if you weren't able to watch it live. But if you miss, you know, it's football season. Every result of every game is in the headlines. That's just kind of how it goes. Uh, if you want to, again, and... I understand if you missed it, you don't want to get spoiled. I really do. 
Like, I'm not say uh, I'm not asking anyone to shut up or stop whining. That's not my point. But that is, uh, if you want to know more specifics or if you want to petition for that to be changed, go to the editing staff. Yeah, again, reach out to the editors of the website. I just do I just do my job. So that's where that is. Um, I do appreciate it. again whether you and that minor that formatting essentially issue aside. Thank you guys for reading. Uh, I do appreciate it. And I I apologize for the inconvenience that that potential decision causes some people. I It's one of those things that anyone who doesn't like it is going to say something. Anyone who does like it or doesn't care is not going to. So it makes a... It makes actually, you know, sorting out how effective or useful that particular strategy is a bit more difficult unless you have access to the full range of data at your disposal, and I don't. So, I mean, again, if, you know, someone like Ashish is looking at this and goes, oh, if I if we include the result in the title, then overall traffic goes up X percentage, then that's what they're going to do, and I understand it. And I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm not saying that's the case. I do not know. I imagine they'd tell me if I asked, but I don't care. I do what, again, I try to do my job, and that's, if they have a different format they want me to use, then I will try, then I try to accommodate that. So, point being, if you are curious about this, ask someone like Larry or Jeremy. Don't ask me. I don't know. All right. Um, let's have a look. Yeah, next week, okay. Um, this is going to be a relatively short segment, I imagine. UFC on ESPN Plus 17. The UFC is back in Mexico City. Um, this card, man. Uh, your main event is Yair Rodriguez, because the UFC is still trying to make him a thing, fighting Jeremy Stevens. This is Rodriguez's first appearance since the fight with Chan Sung Jung last year. Uh, given the damage he suffered to his... He busted up his legs pretty good in that fight, and that was kind of a war. So, this is his first fight since then. I mean, that that was your knockout of the year for 2018, man. That was such a that was such an insane knockout. And uh, Anyway, and he'll be fighting Jeremy Stevens. Stevens on a two-fight losing streak was finished by Aldo and then wound up fighting... Excuse me, finished by Aldo, then lost a decision to Zabit Magomed Sharipov at UFC 235. I mean, it's not a bad fight, but this is also the best fight on the card, and that's troubling. <laughs> um, I'm going to pick Stevens. I mean... The reality is that while Rodriguez did win the fight with Chan Sung Jung, he was losing the fight up until the finish. And I think Stevens will probably win the fight. I'm going to pick Stevens. Uh, next up, Carla Esparza will fight Alexa Grosso. I'm going to pick Grosso there. I mean, Esparza's... She just broke a two-fight losing streak with a somewhat uninspired win over... Uh, a, a UFC debutante. I'm I'm gonna go with Grosso here. I think Grosso will probably take this. 
at flyweight. Brandon Moreno will fight Askar Askarov. Uh, Moreno back in the UFC. Um, he was cut after going on a two-fight losing streak, and be- he was cut for being a flyweight. <laughs> is kind of how that breaks down. Had one fight outside the UFC. Now they brought him back because... They're in Mexico, I guess. I don't know. Um, look up his opponent real fast. Because Moreno, again, I, I've i seen a fair number of his fights. Uh, Askarov is 10-0. and 0, Promising. Making his UFC debut. Uh, you know what? I'm actually going to go with... Uh, I'll go with Askarov there just because annoying the local fans kind of amuses me. Uh, Martin Bravo will fight Steven Peterson. Steven Peterson, not really a UFC caliber fighter. Um, on the flip side, Martin Bravo, not exactly a UFC caliber fighter either. I mean, he won his season of tough Latin America and then promptly got knocked out by Umberto Bondone and decisioned by Alex Caceres. So I'd cut the loser of this. I'd cut them both. I really would. Probably go with Bravo here, but again, um, he's not exactly uh, cream of the crop. Um, Jose Alberto Quinones will fight Carlos Huachin. Uh, Huachin made his UFC debut earlier, lost to Hani Barcelos. Uh, whereas Quinones has had a decent enough run in the UFC. Uh, lost his debut, went on a four-fight winning streak before losing to Nathaniel Wood. I'll go with Quinones there. That's not a bad fight. Uh, Marco Polo Reyes will fight Kyle Nelson. Kyle Nelson uh, has yet to win a fight in the UFC. Finished by Diego Fajaya and Matt Sales. Yeah, this is kind of a gimme for Reyes. Who's a really fun brawler. uh, But unfortunately has been out-brawled, I guess, in his last couple of fights. I mean, James Vick knocked him out. Beat Matt Frivola, then is not went on a two-fight losing streak to Demir Hadzovic and Drew Dober. Uh, but, I, I, again, they're giving him a very winnable fight there. Um, Angela Hill will fight Ariane Carnelosi. Let me see if that's... Yeah? Okay. Um, Carnelosi is 12-1, and making her UFC debut here. She's on a 12-fight winning streak. Jeez, not lost since her debut. And... Uh, I mean, I don't dislike Angela Hill, but she struggles to... She really struggles with consistency. Uh, really struggles with consistency. I'm actually going to go with Carnalosi there. Um, might be wrong, but going to do it anyway. Um, Sergio Pettis will fight Tyson Nam. Tyson Nam back in the UFC. Good for him. And this is announced right now as a flyweight fight. So, Pettis trying his hand back down at flyweight? I mean, I remember when Tyson Nam was, you know, kind of the man. Um, he was the man for a, lo- for a while up until... Uh, who was it that really derailed him? I think it was Marlon Marais, actually. Because he had a good winning streak. He bounced around a few different uh, organizations. Uh, yeah, Marais... Yeah, Marais head kicked him. I mean, he knocked out... Edu- His big thing was he stopped Eduardo Dantes, which was a big deal at the time. Then Marais head kicks him into oblivion. 
He goes on a four-fight losing streak, and credit to him for rebounding, actually. Because he went on to, you know, go 4-0-1 in his next five. And is now ready to make his UFC debut on a two-fight winning streak. Um, I have a hard time picking Sergio Pettis. I will here, but... Man, if you're talking about a guy who struggled with consistency... On a two-fight losing streak... Losses to Formiga and Rob Font. Yeah, just... I don't know, man. I'm going to pick him here, but that's very winnable for Tyson Nam. Um, Vinicius Morheia will fight Paul Craig. Uh, Morheia has only lost in the UFC. Uh, was finished by Alonzo Menafield and Eric Anders. And Paul Craig is... Paul Craig. I mean, I don't know what else you want me to say about Paul Craig. I'll pick Paul Craig here, but eh. I mean, it's light heavyweight. Who knows or cares? Um, Sajara Eubanks will fight Betch Kohea. That's certainly a thing. I'll pick Eubanks there. Um, yeah. And kicking everything off, Claudio Pules will meet Marcos Mariano. Um, Pules is... That's Peru, right? Yeah, the Peruvian. He's 8-2. and two. One is UFC... Has gone 1-1 one and one in the UFC, excuse me. Hit a knee bar in Felipe Silva. He was getting lit up that fight and just was able to find that as if memory serves. Mariano, however, is only 6-5. and five. Jeez. Uh, lost his UFC debut against Lando Venata. I'll go with uh, Puyas, but... Again, that's, that's kind of a toss-up. Both guys can... Both guys are in positions where they could very easily have developed rapidly beyond in between fights. All right, that's, uh, yeah, that's that event. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's an event. Um, hopefully it's better in practice than on paper, because on paper it's, uh, oh, apparently there's also a fight... Again, some of these fights have fallen out and are getting kind of rejiggered. Um, I mean, Angela Hill was supposed to fight somebody else. Uh, Alex Perez was supposed to fight Sergio Pettis before Alex Perez pulled out. And there's a fight between Irene Aldana and was supposed to be Marion Renault, but Renault pulled out of the fight and is replaced by Vanessa Mello. I don't mind picking Irene Aldana in the dark there. So, eh, again, we hope on pa- on in practice it's better than on paper, but because on, on paper that's, uh, I mean, even the main event, perfectly serviceable main event for a fight night like this, but man, that card could be a slog. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's not, but I'm just going to call it like I see it as far as that goes, guys. I think it's going to be a slog. Uh, all right. Moving on to news of the week. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, this was a surprising thing. Um, both John Jones and Jan Blahovich were kind of tweeting that their new their next fight was going to be announced soon. Blahovich's was he's going to welcome perennial middleweight contender uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza to light heavyweight, um, which really does open up 
make a giant open question about who John Jones might be fighting next. Because Blahovich was the only other like sort of top contender on a streak. I I mean, you know, Tiago Santos is out of the equation for a while with his knee injuries. There's no real interest in the Anthony Smith rematch. Uh I mean, Blahovich was kind of the guy. If we're just talking about who's next up, it was it was Jan Blahovich. A little bit surprising, but I think it was. And if Blahovich beats Jacare, I mean, he, it'll pretty clearly be him. Like there is not really another fighter with a legitimate case to be made right now. So, bit of an odd thing, but uh, not a bad fight, actually. They also announced uh, Stephen Thompson and Vicente Luque will be on the UFC 244 card at Madison Square Garden. Um, somebody joked on Twitter that that same night uh, that's main evented by Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal for the baddest mf these two are fighting for essentially the politest fighter in the sport award. That's a good fight. It's a really good fight for both guys, so looking forward to that one. Uh, let's see here. Zabit Magomed Sharipov was scheduled to compete on ESPN 6. I think he was in the co-main event. He is out. Uh, no word on who his replacement will be. He was supposed to fight Calvin Cater in that fight, uh, which was a good fight. I was looking forward to that, actually. That sucks. Uh, also, kind of in the news, uh, Kevin Lee will be moving back down to lightweight after his failed bid to win at welterweight. Um, look, Kevin Lee's just a guy who's going to have to make peace with either a really gnarly weight cut for a few more year- for years at lightweight, or find a way to deal with being the smaller guy at welterweight. I mean, Rafael dos Anjos is in the same boat right now and is just kind of choosing to go it at welterweight because he really doesn't want to do the weight, the weight cut. But we've also seen Dos Anjos be the smaller guy in pretty much all of his fights. To his credit, he's fought a, he's, you know, kind of worked around it, but it's also been a limiting factor for him. Like the size differential is a real thing. And uh, Kevin Lee just ran into kind of a brick wall in his U- in his welterweight debut. He didn't get a get an easy fight either. He got uh, oh crud, who was it? He, yeah, he actually got RDA. Jeez, and just one of the only times RDA in light at welterweight RDA has not been you know the smaller guy. But, it, again, it's just a tough thing, man. He's a guy who really wants a 165-pound weight class. I mean, frankly, so is Dos Anjos. Uh, lightweight's a really, really uh, nasty weight cut for them. But up at welterweight, they're on not just the wrong end of the size equation, but they're on it to such a degree that in areas, even technical mastery will not overcome it. And it sucks, but that's just kind of the way it is right now for them. So uh, No word yet on who he will be fighting, but he just says he's going to be a lightweight next. So, uh, good on him. I mean, Lee's a good fighter. So, 
Uh, you know, wish him good luck with that. Alright, let us refresh Twitter one more time because I think that's everything. Uh, yeah, I don't think anything new is broken since I started recording this, so we'll call that good, I think, and let's go ahead and get into plugs. Alright, uh, Mark Radlich and I did some alternate commentary slash watch-along uh, audio for the Tyson Fury versus Otto Valin fight last night. Uh, I did that after UFC on ESPN Plus 16. So you can listen to that if you're so inclined. We have some fun. We make a few jokes. We talk a little bit about technique, a little bit about... Again, we're not, like, auditioning for official commentary. It's just the two of us watching along and talking. So give that a listen if you're so inclined. Uh, we have a good time doing those. This Tuesday, Mark Radlich and I will be on TV Party over on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, which you can find pretty much all the same places you find this show. Uh, be that YouTube, again, YouTube, iTunes, or slash Apple Music, uh, Google Play, uh, you know, Stitcher, Podcoin, and really, just go with, again, like, Podcoin's happy to give you rewards for listening to podcasts. Uh, go for it. If listening to this is not its own reward, and I imagine it's not, then, you know, earn some points towards uh, gift cards or rewards or whatnot that they'll give you. And no, we are not sponsored by Podcoin. I'm just doing this out of the goodness of my heart. If we were sponsored, I'd be happy to tell you. And so we'll be doing a, again, a TV party for the Netflix series, the net first season of Netflix's Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which will be, uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, Mark and I, again, we've both seen it, so, uh, check that out. Last week, Mark, Alexis Haina, Jason Teasley, and I got together on Damn You Hollywood to talk about It Chapter 2, The Perils and Pitfalls, uh, where it succeeds, where it doesn't, where it could have been made better, uh, so, if you're into movie reviews, go ahead and give that a listen, a lot of fun. And... Yeah, next week we'll be back here to review UFC on ESPN Plus 17 and preview. Yeah, we will be previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 18. That's a weird fight card. I mean, okay, your main event is Jack Hermanson and Jared Cannonier, which is a relevant middleweight fight. Uh, Hermanson coming off of that win over Jacare. He's riding pretty high, actually. And Cannoneer's kind of surging. Oh, they're in Denmark. Okay. Significant chunks of this card make more sense now. All right. Anyway, next week we'll have a full preview of that entire event. So come back for that. Hopefully Jeff will be back so you don't have to listen to me talk to myself. Uh, thank you all very much again for listening. However you do. Thank you for interacting with the product. However you do. Always appreciated. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week. Until then, stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.